0: read it, but I wanted to spend some time looking at Psalm 147, and uh, the the theme for this morning is, is worshiping with gratitude, and, and what uh, goes into, what is, a, what is a response of gratitude to God look like, and how do we cultivate that, and so I'm so thankful even uh, in, you, we've already started doing that, right, you know, even this morning sharing uh, ways that God uh, has been at work, and things that we can be grateful for, so I just want to spend more time uh, doing that. Uh, this morning. And, and I'm, I'm not going to say anything new, praise God. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything that maybe you haven't heard before. Uh, and that's that's my intent. That's by design. But it's just uh, recalling things that I, I hope that you you already know uh, and to cultivate that, that response of gratitude. So uh, you can get your Bibles open and, and turn back to uh, Psalm 147. We'll be referencing that, uh, that text as we go along. But uh, in terms of Just setting that up a little bit, uh, the uh, the way that the Psalms work, right, is they're broken up into. It's a collection of books, right? So you might see at different points that books start and stop at different points, and so there are uh, five books. And the end of the Psalms, uh, Psalms one forty-six to one fifty, actually kind of all go together, and it's kind of a five-fold conclusion to. The entire, the entire set of, of songs, and so uh, you have a lot of things that are repeated within, those, within those, uh, those psalms, and they all start and stop the same way. You might notice that if you look at, you know, Psalm 147 begins with praise the Lord, and it ends with praise the Lord. Psalm 146 does the same thing. Psalm 148 does the same thing. Psalm 149 does the same thing. Uh, Psalm 150, uh, they all do the same thing. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. That's showing you they all kind of go together. And the, the themes that are getting uh, expressed, in some ways, I could preach this sermon out of any one of these psalms, right? They they're may be unique in different ways, but the, thematically, they're all very much the same thing. And so uh, Psalm 147, it is, but uh, there's, there's a lot of unity around uh, what these psalms are. And it, again, it's, a, it's this emphatic conclusion uh, to uh, this collection of songs of prayers of god's people and so in terms of just pointing out a few general things uh, about praise i think we can gather from these all five we can gather just just generally so three things just to kind of get our bearings a little bit the first thing that i we were reminded here is that praise uh, is a communal thing it, it can be personal it can be individual of course uh, but it, it is largely a communal practice and the way that we can get that is by simply looking at this idea of praise the lord that my bible says praise the lord psalm 147 verse 1 now that that phrase praise the lord you may know this is a translation of a single hebrew word which is hallelujah right so we say hallelujah we translate that praise the lord and in greek uh alleluia, is a transliteration of the Hebrew word. So, are you confused yet, right? <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah, praise the Lord. That's that's all the same. Now, the translation of the word hallelujah, praise the Lord, is it's fine, like some of our songs do this, and I think it's fine, but it's not really something you say to God, right? It's not something you say to God, it's something you say to someone else. Right. It's a call. So the King James actually gets it right. Praise ye the Lord. Right. You know, like if you grew up with the the King James, that's it's actually a call out to those around like, hey, praise the Lord. Like and, you know, we even say to ourselves, praise the Lord, my soul. Right. Uh, It's it's a it's a call out to say, hey. Praise God. You praise God. I'm going to praise God. Well, what are you going to praise God for? Right. Like it's a call to each other to praise the Lord. And so uh, that's why we gather, right? That's why we gather for worship each week. We do it to say to one another, praise the Lord. You have a reason to praise God today. Let me tell you what my reason is for why I'm praising God today. What's your reason for praising God today? Let's do it together. Uh, so praise is communal. That's the first thing. Uh, second is that praise is repetitive. Sometimes I hear complaints that um, modern worship songs are too repetitive. Uh, and my response is to read the Psalms. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're pretty repetitive. They're repetitive. Uh, Yes, sometimes uh, four bridges is too many in terms of a song or something like that. Uh, You know, too many choruses or something. Sure, I get that. But uh, psalms are constantly praising God for the same things. And it shouldn't be boring, right? It's not boring to keep praising God for the same things. Uh, Psalm 147, as I said, is part of a collection of five psalms that work to conclude the entire 150 psalms in the book, and they all begin and end with the same call, this hallelujah, uh, praise the Lord. Uh, they all share the same thematic content for with why we should praise the Lord, right? So we're going to look at that. Uh, the third thing I point out is that praise is beneficial, that it's, it's good. I have a quote here. In positive psychology research, gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with greater happiness, Gratitude helps people feel more positive emotions, relish good experiences, improve their health, deal with adversity and build strong relationships, so says the Harvard Health Publishing Journal from Harvard Medical School and I just I think it is wonderful when the uh, extensive psychological research concludes what the Bible already told us, right? That it is good to praise the Lord. It is good, gratitude is good for you. It's not just something that is uh uh intrinsically right, which it is, it's intrinsically and and objectively correct that we should be grateful to God. Like that is that's that is an objective reality. But it's also beneficial. It's also good that we were actually made and designed and created in such a way that it actually benefits us. So it's a job that actually brings us joy. It's a it's a job that we can derive joy out of, is praising the Lord. And so uh Thank God that he, that he made it that way, right? So praise is a response to the truth of who God is and what God does. And then we live in conformity to that reality, right? If this is what God is like, if this is who he is, if this is what he said, then how am I going to live if that's true, right? And that, that my living out in conformity to that reality is how we praise the Lord, right? It's not just the words that we say, it's the life that we live. Uh, and so our worship is response to, God, uh, to what God has declared about himself. And so we're going to look at the, what God has declared about himself in this psalm. And the big idea uh, that I want to leave with you uh, this morning is that we worship with gratitude when we recall the greatness, the goodness, and the grace of God. The greatness, the goodness, and the grace of God. Those are the things I want to talk about this morning. So when we worshiping with gratitude means first and foremost that we're humbled, by the greatness of God, right? If we want to talk about like what what's going to uh, inform a response of gratitude to God, it's when we recall and remember his greatness. And the psalm helps us do that, looking specifically at verses 2 through 6. And uh, two headings here that I want to talk about. First is his sovereign power. Then I want to talk about his limitless understanding. So his sovereign power. Uh, we read in verse 2, uh, or sorry, verse 4, he determines the number of stars and he calls them by name so let's let's talk about let's talk about space for a minute stars right let's just talk about that uh, the text says he determines the number of stars so how many how many stars are in the known universe does anybody know yeah, we don't know <laughs> we actually don't know we have a guess we actually uh, and and i say we like i'm a scientist i'm not uh, but uh people who are trying to figure these things out they don't know uh, 2 trillion galaxies in the known universe is the best guess. So, uh, each one containing about, if you want to be conservative, 100 billion stars in each one of the 2 trillion galaxies that we think exist. So, uh, that's uh, 23 zeros. An insane number. Just an insane number. i You can't, I actually don't have a good analogy to try to get you to conceive I can't even think of it, right? So the best I can do is what I read, I found, is that like it's the idea is that uh, if you uh, were to take a cup of water, like an eight ounce cup of water, and you were to, uh, uh, let's see, take all the water in the ocean, right, and divide it into cups of water, uh, that number would be ten times that. So you take all the water in the ocean, right, fill it put it into 8 ounce cups, count that number, there are 10 times more stars than what you would get in the cups of water in the ocean. Big, right, it's a lot, okay. So let's talk, we talk about like number, like now let's talk about scale, right. So in, in space we measure distance by light. By the, by the speed of light. That's how the distance is measured. And so which uh, light travels within a, speir- a specific period of time, one second of light time is 186,000 miles, right? So every second, that's how fast light is traveling. And we know that it takes light from the sun about eight minutes to get from the sun to us. It takes about eight minutes. And then you just keep expanding that out, right? And so uh, after an hour, we're somewhere between Jupiter and Saturn. You keep going out. You're going out uh, to traverse the edge of the known universe in any direction. The guess is about 46 and a half billion light years. And this God we praise spoke and the cosmos were formed. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth, Psalm 33 says. Uh, Hebrews 11 says, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. Now, the point isn't just that God is so much like spatially bigger in that sense. That doesn't actually make God is outside of He's not a part of what he made. He's not comparable to it in just pure size. It's not like, well, God takes up more space. Um, we don't really think of God that way. He doesn't inhabit space. He's outside of what he's created. But what we're talking about is uh, sovereign control. right? I think that's the, the, the psalm isn't necessarily just looking at, like, hey, boy, we have all this knowledge about uh, size. <laughs> Right. And so we're going to compare that to God. Right. There's a part of that they probably have some understanding about. But really what we're talking about here is not just so much God is scale, but but the sovereign control of God in response to all of these things. Uh, the, you know, culturally, we still I think we get this still is there's this idea. We use phrases even now. We talk about uh, counting your lucky stars. Right. Right. Um, wishing upon stars, right, that the the universe is somehow guiding or sovereignly controlled. Like, you know, we have some echo of culturally where we still attribute some sovereign control to the stars themselves, right? Uh, And of course, we as, you know, we say like, well, yeah, we say that, but like, if we don't think that, we think, well, no, like, that stars don't control my Life, I do. I control my life. I do what I'm sovereignly controlled over my own life, right? Um, subtly prideful and arrogant, right? That we can become, uh, and and we say, no, no. God is the one who calls the stars each one by name. He names them. He knows about them, and he possesses sovereign control and has determined the course is not just only of galaxies, but of history itself, right? That's why we're bringing this conversation into. It's not just that God uh, made the stars, but that he sovereignly orchestrates and controls and directs and guides. The God who calls the stars by name is the one who possesses sovereign control and who has determined the course of galaxies and history itself, and he's sovereign over whatever you're experiencing in your life right now the sovereignty of God that allows us to praise when things are going well and when things are, seem like they're coming undone, right? It's the sovereignty of God, it's the greatness of God that says uh, he's the one who's orchestrating and in control even when it seems like things are out of control. Uh, His limitless understanding uh, is the second ending here under the greatness of God. my Bible says his understanding has no limit. Uh, I think uh, we just read something about the immeasurability of God's understanding, which is which is pretty good because that's that's kind of what we're trying to get at in terms of the uh, uh, the the idea here. Uh, more literally, we would say of his wisdom there is no counting. Right? Try and count the stars. You can't. Try and count or quantify the understanding or the wisdom of God. You can't. It's the same. Um, key difference between God and us, right? Um, we don't know very much. <laughs> God knows a lot. We don't know very much. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we know stuff, sure. Um, but a lot we don't know. Uh, a couple things that we don't know, uh, just for fun. Uh, bird migrations. We actually don't know how birds know when it's time to migrate. We don't know. They just know. They know. We don't, we don't understand it. It's like, how do they know when it's time? How, like, like, for example, like on a really cold day, why don't they all just take up, a, why don't they just leave? <laughs> you know, we have cold snaps in the weather and things like that. No, nope, they still go when it's time. We don't know why. Um, lightning. Uh, we know some things about lightning. It's hard to study because uh, it's unpredictable, right? What we don't know about lightning is where it's gonna strike. <laughs> and so it's very hard to measure when you don't know where it's going to, to strike and you can't predict it. Um, and in terms of the clouds and, and where, where lightning, the, the idea is there's technically not enough charge in the cloud to actually be able to produce lightning. So it's, we don't know where it starts. It's like, well, we know some things about how it works, but how does it start? It doesn't seem like it should be able to based on what's going on and how in the readings that we can get from clouds. So it's like, we don't know. Um, dreams. Uh, though there are theories, there's no consensus on why we dream, what happens when our, we are, what's happening to our bodies, to our brains. Uh, when we dream, why do we dream? We don't, we don't actually, scientifically, we don't have an answer for it, right? We don't actually know. So um, well, there, are three things we don't know, <laughs> just for fun. And those are like ultimately trivial, right? Um, you could add some more like less trivial things, right? Uh, any list of the number of incurable diseases or reasons why um, treatments don't work or uh, catastrophic weather events that seem to displace mass amounts of people. Um, social injustices of global poverty and famine and refugee crises and wars and uh, even the mystery and difficulty within our own emotional and mental health we don't understand, we don't know In uh, the heartache that we even go through with the people that we love most and how many things in our lives we just throw up our hands we say, I don't know I don't. I don't know. Um, and we can say for sure God knows. We can say for sure God knows. He has numbered the stars. His understanding has no limit. He knows. But I guess the question is, what good is it if God knows if He doesn't care? What good is understanding without concern? What good is knowledge without love? So God is great and he is greatly to be praised. Amen. Yes, he is. But to what end does God use his greatness to simply just spin galaxies into existence? No, the text says he reaches down to bind up and heal. He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. Verse 3, he's numbered the stars in the sky and the hairs on your head. A bird doesn't fall to the ground and God doesn't know about it. Of his greatness, no one can fathom. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. That's what God does with his greatness. So that's from Isaiah 40. The God who formed the universe sees down to the depths of your heart. Sin and all that's rotted within, and he is moved with compassion toward you. Uh, Charles Spurgeon was, uh, I think, he was preaching on this exact text, and uh, because he, he has a quote here uh, talking about the passage here. Uh, and, and you look at how it goes, right? He heals the brokenhearted, and binds up their wounds, he determines the number of stars and calls them by name. So like the juxtaposition of those two ideas, binding up wounds, calling stars by name. This is what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, from stars to sighs, right, this brokenheartedness, this sigh of broken heart, from stars to size is a deep descent. From worlds to wounds is a distance which only infinite compassion can bridge. And so the point is, is that we can't, stop, we can't start talking about the greatness of God without moving very quickly to talk about his goodness, right? They go together. You can't just talk about the greatness of God. You have to talk about his goodness. And you can't talk about his goodness without talking about his greatness. They go together. They're harnessed to each other. And it's only when we acknowledge and recognize in our humility in our place before the greatness of God, right? So we think about the greatness of God, and we're just like, oh man, I feel really small, right? I feel really small. I feel really insignificant. I feel as though the things that I thought were important in my life probably don't matter very much, because who am I, right? It's when we humble ourselves before God in in recognition of his greatness, here's the paradox. This is what I found to be true, is that when we humble ourselves before God and his greatness, that's actually the point where we're open to experiencing his goodness, right? It's in that humility, that place of humility, where we look at the greatness of God and say, who am I, right? It's that point where God draws close to us in goodness, right? He heals our broken hearts. He binds up our wounds. He moves in compassion towards us. It's when we're humbled by his greatness that we are then drawn near to know his goodness so that's the second thing I want to, to spend some time with, is we, we worship uh, with gratitude when we humble ourselves before the greatness of God, and we worship with gratitude uh, when we truly know the goodness of God. So the text talks about uh, use of the language of abundant provision. right? He covers the sky with clouds and supplies the earth with rain. And the idea is that God doesn't run out of stuff. Right? That's, that's the analogy here. That's the idea is that God has plenty and he doesn't run out. A scarcity mindset leads me to think that I'm not going to have enough. If I don't grasp onto this, Right, I'm going to lose what's mine and there's not going to be anything for me. And that's what calls the goodness of God into question. Right, This is what was going on in the garden. Adam and Eve, right? You know, this is the lie. Okay, yeah, God's given you stuff, but he's withholding you this one thing. He's withholding the best thing from you, actually. So how good is he? Maybe not as good as he thought, right? He's holding out on you. You're not going to have enough. You better take this. So why, why would we believe that? We would believe we would be led to believe that God actually isn't abundant in provision. He actually doesn't have enough. He only has so much, and he's holding out. But we say no. That's not that's not what God has said. That's not who He is. His goodness is that He is abundant in provision, and that He's generous with it. Right? James one talks about that. Uh, he is uh, one who gives every good and perfect gift and that there is no shifting shadow of change within him. First John reminds us that God is light and there's no darkness in him. So what does that mean? That means that he doesn't have good days and bad days. Right? He doesn't have a day where God wakes up and is like, well, I'm feeling particularly generous this morning. Which is good for all of you. <laughs> or other days where it's just like you know I'm not you know this is how I am, yeah you know? <laughs> this is how I am. And we go and it's like you know what I don't feel like it today. <laughs> I'm just not not in the mood. Let's try to you know. God doesn't do that. God is consistently, only, ever, good. And it's when we have eyes to see the provisions of God, not simply in the material needs that we ask for. But when we ask for our daily bread, the things that we need to live. Right. He gives freely and generously without question, without reserve. And I and I and I'm talking about in terms of knowing the goodness of God, because I think that's important right? It's that when we actually know it to be true in our experience, I think it matters. And so this is how I frame it, is that to say God is good, that's a theological statement. And it's true. God is good is a theological statement that is true. God is good to me is a testimony, (laughs) right? To be able to say, to taste and see that the Lord is good, that's not, it's, now we've moved out of theological extra, abstraction, and now, now we have a testimony that we're sharing. It's like, God is good to me, and I know it because I've experienced it. So, right, the goodness of God is something that we don't just affirm in creedal statements, but it's something that we need to know and experience. Taste and see that the Lord is good, Psalm 34. And faith that knows and trusts in his abundant provision and his goodness, right, is demonstrated through the hope of his unfailing love. Verse 11, that's the language that that my Bible uses, the hope of his unfailing love. So we talk about his unfailing love. Whom does the Lord delight in? Whom has God's full attention? Not those who are self-sufficient those who are equipped with the conventional means of power and stability and control. Those are the metaphors that are going on there. Um, no, he delights in those who fear him and who put, his, put their hope in his unfailing love. Uh, the word love here is a Hebrew word, uh, chesed. And you have to say it like that. that ch- it's like you're going to hawk up something. But chesed is a wonderful Hebrew word and it's a word that intends to communicate what is the chief quality of who God is. Right? So it's very hard to translate this one word because it's often used in that very context. It's like if we're going to take a word to sum up who is God and what is he like, we're going to use the word chesed, and then now try to translate that. It's very hard. Um, so we'll get a lots of different versions. We'll say unfailing love, uh, loving kindness, uh, covenant faithfulness, uh, all these different ways to try to talk about God's love. Uh, there's a, this will maybe date you if you've heard of him, but uh, there's a singer-songwriter, Michael Card. Anybody remember Michael Card? <laughs> I remember a little of Michael Card. Uh, had some cassette tapes of Michael Card, meant we would play in the car with my mom. Uh, he's written some books more recently, and actually he wrote On This Word um, four or five years ago. And his definition really struck me. And I'm going to share his definition or translation of the word chesed. And he says this. He says, when the one from whom I should expect nothing gives me everything. When the one from whom I should expect nothing gives me everything. Like, what, what is that? And he says, like, that's God. And that's God's that's his unfailing love like what is it that god is doing it's like well uh god is giving me everything when i don't deserve or should expect i should expect nothing right i go to this great god what should i expect nothing (laughs) what do i deserve nothing When the one from whom I should expect nothing gives me everything. We say, that's God's goodness. And it's his greatness that is now being translated into his goodness. Uh, is it overwhelming strength? Awesome terror? Vast, uh, surpassing greatness of God that ultimately wins me over? This fear? Uh, Romans 2 says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Uh, I encounter the one from whom I should truly expect nothing. And in turn, he gives me everything. His very self, right? It's the fear of the Lord in that that this God would do this. Right? That's a fear. That's that's the fear of the Lord. We're not talking about a cowering, hide-in-the-corner fear and terror, although... It can be experienced that way, right? But no, the fear of the Lord that leads us to hope in his unfailing love, right? The kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the fear of awestruck wonder at the reality that this great and awesome God is is in the depths of his essence, self-giving, right? It's that this great God, who is he? He's one who self-gives, abundantly without costs uh, uh, I didn't didn't earn it I I can't pay for it I didn't do anything for God to respond to me in this way a self-giving love that has extended a gracious invitation to me and so the question is why why should this great God be good to me why should he Uh, grace, right? It's the grace of God, right? Unearned and undeserved. So worshiping with gratitude, we talked about the greatness of God. we talked about the goodness of God. Uh, worshiping with gratitude means we celebrate the grace of God. We celebrate the grace of God. Vers- looking at verses 12 through 20, in um, and, and a heading here, I want to talk about his restorative plan, and I want to talk about his unmerited choice. So his restorative plan. The passage says he strengthens the bars of your gates and blesses your people within you. And this is this is shalom language. This is the Hebrew word for peace, wholeness, uh, restoration, right? Blessing, prosperity, security. Uh, The next verse says he plants or he grants peace shalom and satisfies you with the finest wheat. So again, metaphorically speaking, there's some literal aspects to it, but like big picture of the Bible here, what are we talking about? big story of the Bible, is God's people in God's place under God's rule, right? What is God doing? What's he working towards? Uh, Blessing, healing, restoration. This is the mission that God is on, to restore his life-giving presence to the world through human agents whom he has made in his image, right? This is how the Bible ends. This is how uh, this chapter of reality ends, and it's here, right here in the context of Psalm 147, and it's like kind of happening, right? So the context here is people are coming back from captivity, uh, exile, and Babylon. There are songs we're singing, right? Like God build up the city, right? Put the walls back. It's happening. It's 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 working, right? God is doing it. We have a different perspective here because it's a lot of Bible left. <laughs> it's like like it's hard to know where you are in the story when you're in it. <laughs> right, and it's like, oh, this must be the end, no, there's a lot more story to go, right, you're not, it's not over yet, right, there's lots more, but it's a pointing forward to the end that is truly coming, right, God is sovereignly still at work, right, his goodness will prevail, his grace is moving things forward to the ends which he's appointed them for, the timing though, right, uh, that's, that's where we get, that's where we get off base a little bit, um, And we remember that there's a lot of waiting and hoping in our own experiences of God's greatness and goodness in our lives, right? We see it, but often it looks far off. It looks unfinished. And we have evidence of God's restorative plan at work, right? But sometimes it feels like, really? (laughs) Like, are we going to get there? Because there's times where it doesn't look like we're going to get there. If we had to be honest, right? We have to be really honest and like, I don't see how this works. And it's in those seasons of our life when we look to the seasons themselves for assurance that God's grace and his plans and he's continuing forward even when it doesn't look like it or doesn't seem like it. And so that's why I think we have going on here with all this, like, with all this talk of ice and snow and melting and rivers, what's going on here? Well, I think there's, we're pointing to the ways that the seasons change, right? which would even be experienced to some degree um, in the context that uh, uh, this is written in, not like here like the Midwest, Like I, I was talking to somebody who's not grown up in the Midwest and they were like we, we complain about the weather all the time in the Midwest because it's our right <laughs> like we're allowed to do it because we live here, and people talk to somebody It's like, I don't know why you guys complain about the weather all the time. This is great. Like, the changes and the seasons, like, it's it's amazing. Like, you know, you go to places where it's just, like, one thing all the time. It's like, that gets a little boring perspective, right? But I will say this for myself, is that there are uh, times when it's, unusually it's about, like, February 10th, where I'm kind of, there's a part of me that sometimes it depends. It's like, Maybe maybe this is it. Maybe this is the year that winter never ends, (laughs) right? You know, you move up to March, and you're just like, "Eh, maybe it's not coming. Maybe you know, um, and you think, is there going to be a day where I can take a breath and my lungs don't hurt, (laughs) right? And yet, right, every year, snow melts. Flowers come up and I. You, there's one day that when you take that first breath and you're like, I forgot air could feel like this. You know what I'm talking about? But you have that one day where it's like, there it is. I didn't think it was going to be here. But man, you did it again. God did it again. I didn't think it was going to happen. Uh, uh, God has created and ordered the world to show us that he's a faithful God, right? As sure as the sun rises, he will do what he said that he would do. And there's nothing that I can do to undermine and stop God's gracious plans going forward. The faithfulness of God is a grace to me that is unearned and unmerited. He will do it because he is faithful, not because I am. So, his restorative plan, his unmerited choice. Lest you think that uh, the grace of God is reason for arrogance, right? Oh, we've been chosen. Um, I submit to you, Jacob. That's, he has revealed his word to Jacob. And I think that choice of Jacob is important because, man, have you met this guy? He is the worst. <laughs> he is... You go back and read Jacob's story. This guy is the last person you entrust anything valuable to. Because let me tell you what Jacob's going to do. This guy's going to cheat. He's going to steal. He's going to borrow. He's going to manipulate every circumstance, every chance he gets. To the point, right, where it takes God actually wounding, wrestling, for him to even receive the thing that God's always wanted to give him, right? God says, like, I want to give you something through grace. I don't want to, you don't earn it. I want to give something. Jacob's like, no, I will not receive from you. I will try to take for it myself. And God's like, you can't do it that way. And it's just back and forth to the point where it's like actually like wrestling, punch your right, <laughs> knock your hip out of your socket, right, all that stuff. Um, but the point is, is that it's the grace of God that has to be, received I don't earn it right and God gives his grace even to Jacob and so the the gospel says that the greatest demonstration of God's love for us is that while we were in the 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 position where we were the worst off right a place where we were the worst off and we couldn't receive anything from God. Although while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right? That the grace of God extends to us when we least deserve it. Because of course it does, otherwise it's not grace. The good news of God's grace and his freedom of choice is that it doesn't have anything to do with your ability to earn it. And uh, what we've done uh, to earn God's faithful promise keeping uh, his his, what have we done to earn anything of what God is doing Uh, nothing (laughs) we've done nothing Uh, God's restorative plan is a certain reality that is his gift of grace and his inclusion of you and I in it provides us with an abundance of reasons to worship him with gratitude and joy so the greatness of God the goodness of God the grace of God so in conclusion, I want to give you three really quick things to help you uh, grow and gratitude you're doing this, which I'm thankful for. But I just like in terms of I, I would pray that the gratitude goes beyond this. Right. And, and, and it goes beyond and you take it with you. Uh, and so uh, three things that I found helpful uh, just to as you are thinking about um, cultivating gratitude in response to uh, to to God's greatness, his goodness and his grace. So one is uh, to ask God, when you're doing this, ask God to help you remember and uh, to call things to mind that you might have forgotten, right? I think we need, we need to ask for this because we forget all the time. And so uh, we miss a lot because we're not slowing down. So like ask God to help you slow down, ask God to recall things, help me remember, help me remember things to be grateful for. Um, and I think he'll help you he helps you when you ask so uh two is when you're actually then uh remember something uh i think there's a practice here that's good is to be specific um sometimes we just leave it at generalities right and say like oh well yeah we just talk about the some the being grateful and just it just in general we'll just be grateful it's like well not specifically though like try to try to drill down to some specifics and then rather than like make a list of like twenty things, like make a list of three things, but then drill down into the specifics of this thing that you're really thankful for and to and to you know you understand the difference, right? Rather than like, well like you start listing things like whether it's than, like Thanksgiving time like well I'm thankful for my family and for job and for house and things like yeah, but like by pushing into more specifics, I actually think it's gonna help us cultivate a different level of gratitude rather than just kind of surfacing over it there's been studies that have done that actually show that's that's how you should do it and I think that there's biblical precedent for uh, doing it that way right so ask God to help you remember be as specific as you can and then here's here's the kicker Uh, uh, when you're doing this if you're doing this on your own you got to tell somebody you got to tell somebody Um, which again Love, love this, like you start the service, like you tell somebody else, right? Because there's actually, there's a part, and C.S. Lewis talks about this as well, but it's like if you, uh, by keeping it to yourself, you actually don't complete the process, right? There's a process of completion within the gratitude and the praise that actually completes it when you share it with somebody else, right? There's, there's something about praise and thankfulness and gratitude that you miss when you don't express it outward to somebody else and 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 so there's there's a completion that can happen because you'll not only will you be blessed but you'll be blessing other people as well and so that's that's how we that's how we do it um so um may god bless the preaching and reading of the word and i hope that you're encouraged and reminded of uh the greatness and goodness and grace of god and that we uh you're uh spurred on to worship him uh with gratitude um let me pray for us Lord, we do thank you for um, this morning. We thank you for um, all the ways that you have uh, been at work in and, in and through um, uh, your uh, spirit, your son, uh, through your church. God, we ask that you would strengthen us and equip us to be those who worship you with gratitude, uh, who do so with joy. God, we thank you for the ways that you are uh, demonstrating your kindness to us and in through Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.